Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Baker and this is Mama Stories. I created Mama Stories after seeing how impactful sharing stories can be in overcoming the challenges of motherhood. I am where I am today because of the stories of so many amazing strong mamas and I want to share that with every mom I can. So follow along to laugh, cry, and be empowered. All right, today on the podcast, we have Julie. Thank you, Julie, for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, So Julie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a mom of three. Uh, My husband and I have been married for 16 years. And we have a very busy, very active family life. Yes. Um, I um, love to go camping and we do that as a family. Um, We love to exercise and play and we just do a lot of sports. Super fun. Yeah, that is fun. And your kids are 10, 7, and 4. 10, 7, and 4. Okay. Great. I'll try to remember that. (laughs) I might have to ask as we go along. Okay, great. So uh, 10 years ago, you became a mom. So walk us through that journey of becoming a mom. Oh my goodness. It's crazy. It's been 10 years. I can't even believe that. It's so interesting to reflect back on that Um, a whole decade. Yeah, that is a long time. Um, Well, my husband and I had been married for quite a while before we decided to have kids. Um, I was not sure if I wanted to have kids. I always said that kids suck the life out of you. Which yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> as long as you come to it honestly. Right. But um, it was in 2008 and there was like the economic downturn and I didn't love my job. And um, so I thought, okay, let's do this. And um, I was so terrified. So terrified. Yeah. The exit strategies. Yeah. Having children. But I jumped in and um, did it with full gusto. I read all the books. I went and did the, you know, all the baby classes that are like the hippie baby classes, you know, where you're like there with moms that are going to home birth. And, um, did you home birth? No. Oh, okay. No, but (laughs) I did, I did want to do it without uh, medication. That was my goal. Um, so I went in, you know, like I said, full bore and just was like, this is it. I'm going to do it. And it's going to be awesome. And it was, I had a Super wonderful, easy pregnancy and uh, an amazing birth. Um, did you do it without medication? I did, yeah. I'm going to make you a trophy. No, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. I have a high pain tolerance. Oh, um, you do? Okay. Yes. And it's kind of a funny story because my husband was in town. He travels a lot for work. He was in town, but his boss was in town. And um, I had woken up the morning um, a couple three weeks early earlier than my due date and I kind of was like eh, I don't know what's going on this kind of feels weird whatever and I just thought it was kind of end of pregnancy stuff yeah and um he went on to meetings and um I had called my mom I was like I don't know what's going on and luckily my dad had decided to come and stop by on his way home from work like midday and uh he could tell that I was <laughs> probably in labor but I was like no no I'm fine it's fine it's good <laughs> It's early. It's false labor. It's fine. Thankfully, he called my mom and was like, you need to get up here. And because I was like pacing. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and so we she had me over to the hospital and um, it was fast. It, it was. was super fast. Yeah. I mean, Rich almost didn't make it. Wow. It was crazy fast. I got to the hospital and I think that the nurses thought I was faking it because I was early, you know, three weeks early. Oh, yeah. And, stuff, and I was like on the floor in child's pose and um. They're like, get up off the floor. And then they checked me. I was like eight centimeters. Oh my like, gosh. Oh, so oh, you were even real. past the time to get an epidural. So yeah. 
yeah. you were like, yeah, that's what I should have done. I should have waited till the end. I couldn't even <laughs> handle it though. I told Dustin, I was like, I really want to have, um, no drugs. I was like, no drugs. I'm going to do this. And my doctor was like, well, if you want to do that, you should probably get a doula. Like yeah. you should probably. And I didn't because I was like, I got this. Come on. I can do it. It's just like a mind thing. Mm-hmm. And when I went into labor, I was actually at my friend Katie's house, you know, Katie. Well, <laughs> yes, very, very well. well. Um, and I remember Judy was like her mom, she was like, honey, you're having contractions. And I was like, okay, that is what this is. And it totally sucks. And I just want to get home. And we were on the way to the hospital because a couple hours had passed and my contractions were picking up. And I said to Dustin, I know I told you to be strong for me and to tell me not to get the drugs, but just so you know, I'm getting them. Like, you don't know what this feels like. I'm getting these drugs. I'm sorry. Well, and and I think for, it's different for everybody. I mean, I had different kind of contractions. I think I had more like back labor. So it wasn't as those intense waves. It was kind of more, um, constant. Okay. So I think, I mean, I was definitely on my hands and I mean, my mom had to drive me probably 30 minutes to the, in rush hour traffic, uh, to the hospital. And I was in the back of her car, like on all fours. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I delivered Haley on all fours. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was what was comfortable to me. Yeah. Um, but I had I had a doula and I don't even think she made it. I don't think she got there in time. Oh wow. But the nurse that I had was had been a doula. Oh okay. And so she was it was beautiful. It was perfect. That's amazing. Yeah. That is yeah. so good. Well, yeah. I'm glad to hear that you were able to accomplish that. Did you do the same thing with your second? I did. Yeah. She was even faster. It was Twelve hours with the first, six hours with the second. Girl, you were made. But to that's have the babies. thing, right? Like, it's easy to say, like, oh, I didn't have meds. Well, I had super fast labors. When you're in labor for 48 hours, oh, like, for you're sure. exhausted. You need to have the medication. You need to sleep. You need to for get sure. that energy. I was super proud of myself because with both of them, I didn't miss a meal. That's good. <laughs> no, I was like, yeah. Because yeah. you were like, yeah ready to go at the hospital, baby's out. Yeah. My labor was really fast too. And I remember when we got there, there was a lady, you know, they have the like check-in room, but the like, are you faking it room? When you said that, I was like, I totally know what you mean. (laughs) They said the same thing to me. They were like, we're just going to check you. And I'm like banging on the wall. Like this hurts. Somebody give me something. Um, but we were in that room. There was a lady next to me just screaming bloody murder. And I think she wanted to have a natural birth is what I found out. And so, um, she got brought to the hospital late mm-hmm. just so that she wouldn't get the drugs. But I was listening to her and I was thinking, oh my gosh, you are so strong. I could not do that. And then the same thing after I had Grayson, I was walking around the hospital with them um, later on that night. And there was a lady trying to also do it naturally. And her and her mom were pacing the halls. And I, she was in so much pain. And I looked at her and I was like, you're so strong. Yeah. So, I mean, just because... Not that, not that if you get the drugs, cause obviously I did that you're not strong, but I think it's also just like how you want the experience to go. And I think I knew right then, like, I don't want to do that. Right, right. I just want to enjoy this time. And I did, I was so happy I did it. But as I looked at these other women, I was like, they should give out trophies. <laughs> I mean, everybody told me I wasn't going to get one if I did it naturally, just as like a warning. <laughs> But I was like, they really should. It should be like, you know, you get a small one yeah. if you have a baby and then like a, right. needle, a, little, a, little, bit, bigger. <laughs> a little bit bigger if you didn't have the needle. I don't know. I just think it's, it's like working out. You know, there's some, some things that work for some people and some things that work for other people and some things, you know, people love running. I hate running. Like I don't want to run ever, but I can do bar class all day long. Yeah. You know, I can hold poses. I can do yoga and Pilates. Like that's my thing. Yeah. You know, but some people love running. I'm like, no, no, it's not for me. It's not yeah. for me. Yeah. So no, that's good. I think it's just, it's just about knowing your body. It's, yeah. 
For sure. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yes. No matter how you do it. Okay. So now you have two babies. <laughs> so I have two babies. And then um, we debated and debated and debated on having a third. And then we did. And that was same kind of easy pregnancy. Everything was fine. And then I don't know what happened, but um, I think two weeks before my due date, um, I woke up, thought I was in labor, got to the hospital, um, thought I was like ready to go. And they were like, you're five centimeters and you're in a lot of pain. And I was like, that's not right. I am like 10. They're like, no. And then they couldn't find the heartbeat. And so then everything happened crazy. I was in crash C-section. Um, wow. And I'd had a placental abruption, which I don't, I, I guess is just the placenta kind of detaches. And so my little guy had um, no oxygen wow. for an undetermined amount of time. And so, you know, they got him out. I was totally out. So I don't know any of this. My poor husband's traumatized. Um, mm. They got him out um, and got him breathing again and stuff. And um, when I uh, woke up, they brought him to me and they were going to send him over to another hospital uh, for a different level of NICU and a different kind of treatment. And um, as he was leaving, my husband was going to follow him, uh, follow the ambulance in his car. And he turned back and I was like, gray. Mm. I was like, guys, I don't feel well. And I developed what's something called HELP syndrome, which is super rare and a crazy stands for something that's something with your liver and it's very bad. And, um, so then I ended up staying in the hospital. I was in the ICU for 24 hours. Wow. Um, and so that was a totally different experience <laughs> than yeah. my first two. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, I know Jacob, um, and I know that journey. I didn't know all those details, though. So you were put under. Yes. Completely under. Yes. Crash C-section. I was lucky to have a horizontal and not vertical. Um, it was very emergency C-section. Okay. So it was like instant. Instant. And I had, um, I was at the hospital, but I had a midwife. Okay. That was, uh, the midwife group was at, you know, located at the hospital. And their backup was my uh, OB that had had, um, I'd had with the girls. Um and she, she was so great because she knew, she knew my pain tolerance, she knew my history, she knew something was wrong, and she got me in to that C-section immediately. Wow. Um, yeah, I had the most amazing care with yeah. this that's, experience. It was Well, wild. that's good to, to know that, but gosh, that has got to be so hard. I mean, you're, you literally have like two really good, almost like non-textbook labor, right? Right. And then you go into this. So now what does your husband do at this time? Because now he's got a baby leaving and then a wife in the ICU. Like, what does he even he do? He stayed with me um, because, you know, Jacob was taken care of. And yeah. he, Jacob had, so lack, he had a lack of oxygen at birth. So that's called, um, H-I-E is the acronym. And it stands for something that is really hard to pronounce. <laughs> but it basically means he, he had a lack of oxygen at birth. So the protocol for that um, is a cooling cap or a cooling mat. Okay. So Children's Hospital, Seattle Children's does a cooling mat and Swedish does a cooling cap where they basically lower the body temperature because when you have a lack of oxygen in those um, brain cells, the cells die, but as they die, they kill the other cells around them. So the cooling cap will stop that second kind of secondary reaction okay. of those other cells being killed off. And so it gives the best kind of prognosis for um, HIE, lack of oxygen at birth. Okay. So Jacob had to be on that for 
few days. I mean, it's hard because all of those details are hard because I don't really remember because I was yeah. in the hospital. Um, Rich is better at, at all of those. And I kind of didn't want to ever read his discharge papers because I just didn't really want to know all those details. It was too hard yeah. for me. Um, but he really did, couldn't have any stimulation for a few days. Like he had to be under that cooling cap. And we, and so they really didn't want us there. Anyway, yeah. So Rich stayed with me. Um, my parents had my girls. Um, and I just had to really focus on recovering and, um, and cause I was really sick. I mean, I was really sick. Um, I was in the ICU pumping. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> no. Um, cause I had nursed both the girls and, um, and I wanted, you know, to obviously do that with Jacob. Um, so I was pumping. I, I was trying to get, you know, all of that good, um, liquid gold that they call it, you know, yeah. the, the pre milk or whatever, um, over to him. So Rich would take that to the hospital. So they had a stockpile for when he was ready to, to mm. start eating and whatnot. But it was really traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really lucky, really lucky to be alive. So is Jacob. Um, yeah. When you start reading about help syndrome and placental eruption and all of that that goes with it, it's bad. So did, so did what happened with Jacob, the separation from the placenta, is that what caused you to get sick? Or? I think so. I okay. think so. Help syndrome usually is... Um, occurs with the eclampsia, preeclampsia, eclampsia, and then help syndrome, but I okay. didn't have that. Okay. And so I think the placental, like I w- Wikipedia it, <laughs> and yeah. I think that the um, that the placental eruption is what made that happen. But they don't really know. They, I, I mean, the risk factors are um, being over twenty five, um, having preeclampsia. Um, that's kind of it. I mean, they wow. really don't know. Luckily, the doctor that was on call recognized my symptoms and it was able to get to the right treatment it at first he thought I was hemorrhaging and I wasn't so um I was really lucky he knew how to recognize this this is actually becoming more common um since I've you know since I experienced that I've heard more stories and um a lot of hospitals focus so much on the babies and making sure that the babies are you know taken care of and that they really have you know dialed in on that that the moms are kind of there's a higher mortality rate of moms Wow, um, I didn't know that in, in the U.S. And um, there, I know California has put together kind of a kit on how to educate doctors and nurses on how to look for this. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. That is crazy. Well, I'm so glad that you're here and that Jacob's here. That, um, I, I just can't even imagine. I know you mentioned like that you were kind of out for a while, obviously being under and then being sick and being sent to the ICU. But I mean, I just, I can't even fathom going through something like that. And then just your strength to like pump and to have Rich take it over. I mean, that's like, it was surreal. That's amazing though. I mean, it's, it's amazing that you guys are both here and I love that, but I just, the idea of you like pumping in that situation, I I hope you have a picture or something that you can like look back on and be like, look at how rock star I am because that is amazing. I mean, to go from like, you know, not knowing if this is what you wanted for your life to then like, literally dedicating your life to your kids is is fascinating to me yeah it definitely wasn't how it was supposed to the plan was supposed to go but I had so much I mean yes I was pumping in the ICU but I had so much wonderful care the nurses and doctors were unreal I mean I had every single doctor in the practice that um every single midwife that was in the practice I was going to midwives every single doctor that I was at my old OB came and saw me. I mean, they were constantly coming to see me. Nurses were coming to see me. I remember when I was transported back to the maternal, um, floor 
And the guy transporting me was like, you must have scared them a lot because they were all clapping. Oh, wow. (laughs) But I had, I mean, even the ICU doctor, I was like, I have white coat syndrome. Like I get freaked out. And he, the next day came when he did rounds, he was just like in scrubs. Oh, that's great. The most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people I could ever possibly imagine taking care of me. I mean, all the nurses that were helping me pump and they were just like, I mean, it's just, they were amazing. I say amazing a lot, but they really were spectacular. That that is good to know. I mean, it's the scariest time, right? So to know that those people exist out there in that world for a mom to be or a mom, you know, maybe going through something like that. It's nice to know that. So how long was it until you actually saw Jacob? I think it was five days. Okay. Before I got to see him. And how was that? Like, where did you, did you meet, go to his hospital? Did he come to you? I or? had to go. To, yeah. I was released from, from the hospital that I was at where he was born. And then I went over to see him. Um, and it was really hard because, you know, in those early days after you have a baby and everything's heightened, right? Sense of smell, sense of sound, sense of light. Like it's just a lot. Yeah. And I had to drive to Seattle. And it was just so much. Like, I just remember being overwhelmed. It, it was weird. Yeah. Like I just hated it. And I hated having to drive. Because First Hill is where, like, Harborview is and Swedish. And, oh, yeah. You know, it's just a lot. And oh, it was the most stressful time having to go out into the world. <laughs> Five days postpartum, recovering from a C-section. You know, it was Recovering just, from the ICU. Right. Yeah. yeah. All of, you know... Um, I mean, luckily I, I recovered pretty quickly. Like once they got my all, you know, I was on medication, but once they got me all figured out, I was feeling pretty good, but it was just weird having to like be out in the world. Like usually when I have babies, I'm just like in my house and I just hang, you know, everything's calm and quiet and it was just a lot. But yeah, I saw him, I think on the fifth day and he was coming out of, they were kind of warming up his body and they had done a, um, uh, um, MRI, EEG, all these things, you know, all these tests and everything. So he had a lot of wires and, um, it was just very intimidating to, you know, we couldn't really hold him and, but we needed to hold him as much as possible. And, um, there were wires coming out of him and it was just, it was a lot. And then trying to also, you know, the girls were little and Natalie, especially was freaked out and she was only like two. So it was just a lot to manage. Yeah. Yeah. Were they there when you got to see him for the first time or no? They were not, but they did come see him at the okay. hospital. So they experienced that same yeah. thing, seeing him. Haley did. I don't know that Natalie, I think she just played it. My um, in-laws helped a lot with her. Uh, my mother-in-law was a NICU nurse at the, at the hospital that Jacob was born at. Um, oh, that so is nice she, to have and her she there. knew a lot of the people that were at Swedish NICU. So we had, you know, the best that <laughs> is people so nice. working on him. Always um, good to know people. It is, it is. And so she knew a lot, so she was able to help us navigate a lot of that. And um, the it, it, being in a NICU with a full-term baby is a is a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Very different. You don't really realize that. Everything is geared to the preemies. And um, they don't know what to do with a full-term baby. Mm. So it was, it was an experience. We had a really fight. I mean, that was our first step into advocating. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. can you give me an example? Well, the whole point of getting out of, or the whole way to get out of NICU, and really the hospital, I think, when you're there in general, is to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jacob was on a schedule where he got medication to control seizures. So they weren't sure if he had seizures, but they were giving it to him. Makes you really sleepy. You don't want to eat. You're super lethargic. So he wouldn't eat all day long. Then he'd eat all night long. And they wouldn't let him come home because he wasn't eating during the day. And... 
we had to fight with him to fix the schedule. We almost, you know, moved him to another hospital. We threatened that because they weren't pushing him to eat and they wouldn't let me nurse. Oh, wow. They wouldn't let me. So you were bottle feeding him. Mm-hmm. So you were with pumping pump milk. and then bottle and then they were, feeding yeah. him. Well, actually, they weren't bottle feeding him, I think, at that point. They were doing like a feeding tube. Oh, okay. Um, I think. But it was, um, yeah, it was our first uh, experience into standing up for ourselves and to knowing that Jacob could, could eat. He could do it. Like, he could do it. They just weren't setting him up for success. Yeah. So we had to, um, we were on the doctors, on the nurses, and we got our way. Uh, they finally let me nurse the last day. He was in the in the NICU, I think, for two weeks, maybe 12 days, uh, the last day. And he was like, oh, yeah, this is great. I can do this. Oh, really? He just he just did it. And, you know, we had to have speech therapists and that help with feeding and mm-hmm. all of these people coming in. And and then finally when they were like, okay, fine, try. And I'm like, see, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that has to be so frustrating and so relieving at the same time. Because yeah. that's a long, whether it be 12 days or 14 days, I'm sure that felt like a lifetime. Because you also had to do life, right? Well, right. Like, yeah, we had the girls and, you know, we had, I mean, my parents, like I said, were helping with them, but, and my in-laws were helping with them, but, you know, still like Haley was in kindergarten and, you know, she had to go to school and yeah, it was trying to manage back and forth and yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Hey guys, are we best friends yet? Make sure that you are following Mama Stories on Instagram and Facebook at the Mama Stories. Also, you can check us out at mamastories.com. There you can read, share, and even sign up to be on this podcast. So go do it right now. Well, maybe after this episode. All right. So Jacob finally gets to come home. Yes. And um, now he's four. And now he's four. And yeah. he's the sweetest, <laughs> kindest he's little the best. boy. So he, um, yeah, so he's four. He was um, diagnosed with cerebral palsy when he was one, but we pretty much knew that that was going to be where um, where his diagnosis would be based on the MRI and where his kind of brain damages. They told you that um, when he was little, when he was, yeah, yeah. When he was in the NICU. Um, but that's not static, right? Like even though their damage is there, um, there's a lot of neuroplasticity and things that, you know, the brain can regenerate and stuff. So we just, um, started working on therapies right away. I mean, doing everything we could and researching everything and being kind of ahead of as much of the head of the game as we could. Um, but he's, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and he, um, he's four, he's in preschool he walks with a walker. Um, he's gonna get a wheelchair um, for longer distances because he can't. You know, he doesn't have the stamina um, to go like to Disneyland or the zoo for the whole day. Yeah. Um, but he's super smart, and other than his motor skills, he's a typical four-year-old boy. Yeah. And you guys do um, like a horse therapy, right? Yeah. I, I know yes. you guys are big involved. In, okay. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Hypotherapy is awesome. He um, rides a horse once a week and does um, physical therapy on the horse. And it's wild. He started when he was two, which is the youngest you can start. And um, he would cry mm-hmm. through the entire session. Mm. And um, he has a therapist and then there's someone who leads the horse and then two volunteers. So there's a lot of people that are involved in this therapy session. But he, you know, went from crying every session to he loves it now. And he's, you know, they do all sorts of crazy things like riding on all fours on the back of the horse or standing up on your knees or even standing up on the horse or riding backwards or um, they do games on the horse. And it's, Mm. 
it's really amazing how much core stability it gives. Okay. And that's really where he needs the most help because if his core is stable, then he can do other things with his hands and his arms. So um, in his walker that he uses, he has to use his core most is what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. So his legs. I mean, his legs, they don't have the proper gait that you and I have. Okay. But he's, he tries. Yeah. And we're working on that always. Okay. And he can, he's starting to like understand that that's how you walk. I mean, he walks. Okay. It's just not, it's kind of more toe walking and. Okay. And stuff. It's just not like his kind of his one leg will turn in a little bit, or he'll kind of get mixed up, and okay, or his hand will get stuck on his handlebar, and that kind of messes him up. So okay, yeah, it's just like a process. It's a to process. Get okay, yeah. is there like a time in which they say like if he continues doing this, like this is what you might see, or no? It's hard for anybody to kind of give definite you know guidelines of what's going to happen because every kid is different, and there's different levels of cerebral palsy. I mean. You know, I didn't even know what cerebral palsy was. Yeah. <laughs> and now I know a lot. But there's different levels, um, like one through five, and it affects different parts of kids' bodies. So some kids just have the legs affected. Some just have the arms. Some on the left side of their, some on the right side of their body. Um, so it's not really anything. There's no plan. Okay. Um, we, like I said, we started therapies, I mean, at two months old, we were getting early intervention. So, oh, wow. Jacob has a pretty severe, he's level three to four out of five. Okay. So what does that mean? So level one is walking, but with maybe a little bit slower, maybe a little assistance and five is not walking at all. Like oh, okay. completely, um, you know, immobile. So he's like a three, four and, um, it affects all of his limbs. Okay. So he has a high, you know, more of a severe diagnosis on the spectrum of CP, but what he's able to do doesn't really, you know, doesn't really match up with his diagnosis. Okay. Because we've done so much therapy and we work so hard all the time. And he's, because he is cognitively at age, he's able to figure things out pretty quickly. Okay. So some kids who have CP are more cognitively impacted or they're nonverbal. Jacob can speak. He does. Sometimes it's hard to understand him, but he does. He is very verbal. He has a huge vocabulary. So it's just this huge range. So to give anybody kind of a prognosis is really challenging. Yeah, for sure. It's different per kid. It is. Okay. And this therapy that you do to strengthen his core, do they also help with that vocabulary or it was does. that something? Okay. His vocabulary, um, is helped by having the strong core so that you can get the air out, right? Oh, like, okay. So you need to get, you need to have, you know, be able to sit up straight and have strength so that you can get the air out to talk. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, it all, it all kind works of works together. together. And he also does other, you know, in addition to hippotherapy, he has um, physical therapy and occupational therapy and speech therapy at a private place. And then he gets some of that in the school district. Okay. Gosh, that's really hard. That's a lot, it seems like, to put on your plate. It is a lot, but kind of this is the age where there's the most, the brain's changing the most and that we can really impact what he'll be able to do. Okay. So we're, you know, going like full speed ahead, whatever he needs. We're just really, really, really pushing it now, especially because he's not in in full-time school. So we have all, you know, all this time to try to get him prepared to be in school when he's not going to have as many hours to do all these other therapies. And we have the resources. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that some, a lot of kids with Jacob's um, challenges have just therapy through the school district and it's minimal. Mm. And we are able to have, you know, all these other outside therapies. Yeah. Is that because they are not like involved in 
a charity or is it like a financial it's thing insurance. or what? Okay. Mm, oh, there's a lot so of insurance hard. plans that, um, you know, will limit how much, uh, physical therapy you can get. Um, and you know, we have the therapists that we use are out of network for our insurance. So I manage all of that. So we submit and then get reimbursed, but it's a total headache. I mean, it's a, like a part-time job yeah, to manage. I can imagine. And Plus I, you're a full-time mom of three. Exactly. I spend a lot of time working with insurance. Um, and you know, and also time, right? Like if you're two parents working, how are you going to get your kid to therapy at 11 o'clock on the Monday? Oh yeah. You know, for sure. and all those appointments after work are always super popular. And so they're filled up and, you know, so I, I'm, I'm really lucky that I'm able to stay home and, you know, Jacob's kind of like my full-time job Yeah. in addition to all my other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a lot to manage. And you mentioned that your husband, Rich, travels a lot. He travels. Uh, yeah. So we, you're parenting weekly. alone. A lot of the time. Yeah. 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 That's a lot to manage. It is a lot to manage. I mean, we have a system. My, you know, the, my kids are very good, um, at their routine and they know, you know, for the most part what they're doing. The girls are super helpful with Jacob. I mean, they're great. Um, now, you know, now it's a lot easier when he was a baby. It was really hard. He, um, Rich wasn't traveling quite as much as then when he was little, but he would cry in the car, like scream for probably 10 to 11 months. He did that. Because he didn't like the movie. I don't the know. Car? I'm not okay. sure what it was. We never could figure it out. One of the Taylor Swift songs would calm him down, but that was about it. <laughs> yes, he's already a Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> know, right? Man. But yeah, it was really, I mean, I'm sure my neighbors were like, oh, geez, she comes bombing down the street. But it was so stressful because he would just scream from start to finish. Mm. And I'd go to pick up, you know, Haley from school and I'd have to get out and just bounce him. Like we couldn't just wait and pick up line because I had to, he just would scream. And when you got him out of the car, he would stop. He would stop. Yeah. So something about the car just didn't work for him. Wow. Yeah. And for 11 months, you yeah. said? That's a long time. A long time. Plus, you have two littles in the back I that know. don't understand. Yeah. And so they're frustrated. It was a very challenging. We didn't go that summer. We didn't go anywhere. We walked to the park or we have, you know, hiking trails around our house. We did a lot of that. We did not go past like our little town. <laughs> <laughs> was anybody able to tell you that that was going to be a stage that passed or you just had no, we clue? had no idea. I mean, and there's the, I know people with neurotypical kids whose kids screamed in the car. So, I mean, we tried everything. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's gotta be draining. And he wouldn't for the first few months, he wouldn't let me put him down either. So, um, he was for being such an easy kid. He was a really tough baby. Yeah. And you know, you just didn't know, was he in pain? Was it his tummy? Was it what? I don't know. We tried everything. He finally just grew out of it. Wow. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. I can imagine. I basically had to go to like put the girls to bed and then go to bed with him. Like he was sleeping in our room. Um, it was really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's gotta be hard. Grayson was a colicky baby and that's Mm. what they kept saying. And I think in that time, I was so frustrated because I didn't, I didn't like that answer. Right. Because in, in that moment, like they're, that's what they are. They're, they're screaming, they're just attached to you and you're going through all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I can't even imagine to add on the layers of everything you had just been through and you have little ones at home. That time just seems so endless. And I'm sure there's times you could think back with the girls that maybe you had a similar thing, right? Where you were like, oh, this seems really big in this moment and I know it's going to end or you know it does have an end but right. just in those moments you just don't know right and it's so consuming yes. so overwhelming yeah. yeah so man the fact that you're just 
here today <laughs> smiling well, through this. We did end up getting uh, an au pair for a year and that helped oh, a yeah. lot. Um, Where we, was she from? She was from Colombia. We had a ba- have a babysitter and she's, she's 20 now and she started when she was 12 as a mother's helper with me. But she was in her junior year of high school, and you know that's the that's the most important time, right? You're preparing for your SATs and all your hard classes, and so she just couldn't be here enough. Yeah. Um, even though I would have loved her to be, but um, so we got an au pair, and it was fine. Um, it was helpful. I was able to kind of do more things with the girls, so that was nice. Yeah. I was able to volunteer in their class, and I was able to, you know be with them too. Which is probably what you were doing before, right? right? So you got back to like almost normal with them. Right. So, you know, Jacob was, I knew, you know, he was being, um, cared for at home and then I could do other things for the girls, take them to dance or whatever it was. And he didn't have to travel in the car. So it did make it a lot easier for that year. And then he grew out of, like I said, he grew out of, of crying and screaming and he was just super easy. So that kind of six months to 18 months was super helpful having that extra help. Yeah. Yeah. And however somebody can get it, right? Like grandmas or. Right. My parents work, you know, um, and my in-laws were traveling and, um, and so I needed, I needed more help. Yeah. Well, and it's nice to know those resources are out there. Like I remember when I was just down with the lack of sleeping and I mean, Grayson never slept and I just was on my last like he didn't sleep until he was like 10 months. So I remember I was like, I didn't even know sleep consultants existed. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, like I didn't even know. Yeah. And I just think having, knowing that those things exist is so important for moms because they just can feel a lot less like overwhelmed in that moment. Like they have someone to talk to. I mean, I didn't even actually hire one. I just spent 20 minutes on the phone with one and I felt so much better. I did the same thing with Jacob. Like the girls were, you know, easy, but Jacob, I mean, it was probably a year before he was sleeping regularly. Yeah. Was he, did, was he like, uh, like, was he doing the same thing where he was up at night well, during the day, like you were saying, or was, it seemed like he woke up a lot. Um, and then my shoulder started hurt, you know, like, you know, when they sleep in your bed with you and oh, your, yeah. your shoulder hurts and it's like, I can't, I can't move my shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he was, he just was up a lot. He wanted mom a lot. Um, so I think it was, he was almost a year before we kind of did, we did this with the girls too, where we kind of had rich take two weeks of just doing the wake ups in the night. Okay. And so it was a little bit longer with Jacob, but he, Rich had to do it right. Like I had to be out of the room. Rich would go to all the wake ups because by that point, by a year he was in his own room. Okay. Um, and so we finally broke him, but that's lack of sleep. I mean, that's, that's everything, right? Like I think for me, if I don't get sleep, I'm just like, I'm down on myself immediately. Like I'm just, I can't do my normal stuff. Like I have to sleep. Yeah. Is the most important thing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and when you're in that time as a new mom, it's like the one thing you want, but you just like, can't ever get it. Cause it's like your kid is either waking up often, which I was going to say Jacob Grayson was the same as Jacob where he would just wake up all the time. So I would get these like two hour sleeping mm-hmm. periods, but it just wasn't enough. Right. Um, and he teased us too. Cause at like three months or maybe it was two months, I actually switched him from breast milk to formula. Cause it just wasn't working for me. And he slept for like six hours a night oh my for gosh. a month. Oh wow. We were like in heaven yeah. and we were totally like, look at our baby. He's sleeping. <laughs> no worries. And then just 
back to no sleep. I think boys are different too with sleeping than girls. I feel like really you had my friends and uh, you know listening to other people's stories. Were the girls good sleepers? mm -hmm. Well, Haley was a little bit more challenging, but not not really, not really. Natalie's like I mean she's still could sleep twelve hours a day. Oh, Um, but not anything like I just felt like I feel like boys just want their moms more a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't leave. It's totally anecdotal. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that's, you know, scientific, but it just seems like the boys just kind of want their mamas more. Yeah, mama's boys. Yeah, those are the best. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so um, you mentioned something at the beginning about being in the ICU or in the NICU with Jacob and having to advocate for him. Yes. And how that was like your first experience at being an advocate for him. Yes. What are some other times you've had to do that? Well, I mean, every single doctor's appointment. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> IEP meetings at school, um, pretty much everything. I mean, I think people are well-intentioned, but I think that doctors, nurses, teachers, um, people in the school district that, you know, they just, they've experienced all these other kids. And so this is their bias. And, um, until they get to know my kid, that's what their bias is, right? That whatever their bias is, is what they've put on, on Jacob. And so, really we've just had to advocate that he's he's kind of different like he's very very smart he's very um up to any challenge he will do whatever is asked of him this kid works harder than anybody i know in the entire world he never gives up um and so you know just at, at uh doctor's appointments there kind of seems to be you know this is our protocol well how is that going to work for my child how is that going to benefit him um, why are we doing this? You know, tell me more. Um, and so I've kind of gone into all of our appointments pretty, like, I'm an equal partner. You're, you know, in this decision making here, you know, um, try to educate myself and ask really good questions. And um, I definitely, obviously, I'm not the expert. But sure. I'm the expert on my kid. Right. So Which make, is equally as it important. It is. It's like really important. It is yeah. important because I see him, you know, when he goes to the doctor's office and he's nervous like am I going to get a shot or whatever and he's not himself I have you know they only see him for five minutes right I have to really say you know here no look at this picture look at what he was doing here look at this um and then just being you know same with his therapist um it's kind of crazy how the whole system works where therapists from different places they can't really talk right unless the parent says hey I want you to talk so I've kind of brought all of his team together and, um, and they all love it. They, they love collaborating and talking. And I've had therapists from, you know, his, his PTOTs have come to his hippotherapy and vice versa. And they all, you know, kind of talk and they've, some of them go to the same conferences. So I really, we've benefited from that knowledge and from them having this kind of collaborative effort for Jacob instead of just like, well, this place said this and this place said this, um, it's all come together. Yeah. And so we're all partners in his specific care. When did you learn though that you had to do that? Because that seems like a, a not a role you probably thought you were gonna have to do, right? Because you would think that they could talk together. You would think. You would think. Yeah. Um, well, my advocating for stuff like that happened way before I had kids. Um, my dad had a had to have surgery when he I don't know I was like pr- probably twenty five or something. He had sinus surgery, and um, he didn't come out of the anesthesia very well, and he wasn't breathing on his own. And they kind of you know the hospital was full and they just kind of threw him on a floor and he just wasn't getting enough oxygen. And the respiratory therapist came in and she's like, I wouldn't leave him. Like I wouldn't leave him tonight. And 
So that was kind of one of my first experiences of being like, all right, this isn't working. Yeah. Um, and we need to figure out something different. And I don't care if I make you mad. Like I'm going to be respectful, but I don't care if that makes you mad yeah. that I'm saying you're not doing a good job. And I, we ended up getting him in the ICU that night. Oh, wow. Um, thank goodness, because he could have died. Like if we had just left and just said, oh, they've got this. This is, you know, they're yeah. good. He could have died. Like he wasn't, you know, breathing well on his own. And they wouldn't have known because he was just like on a floor for other things, you know, like orthopedics or something. Um, and so that was kind of one of my kind of my first little way of being like, well, they don't necessarily know everything. Yeah. They don't know. They are just humans. Right. Like they may know their job very well, but they don't know this person and what their needs are. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's always good to question and, and have your own kind of not necessarily being going to Dr. Google, but you know, just having your own research and like what, makes sense. Trusting your gut, questioning, like, and not just saying, oh, well, this is the expert. So they must know everything. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah. That, well, I mean, obviously having that is like a trigger, right? So I'm sure at the first time you experienced this, where you had to question, you probably triggered back to that experience. Um, but I do think that that work and that, you knowing, like I have to connect all these people, I'm sure happened not as fast as you would have liked it to. Well, I, I mean, I kind of feel like, I, I think after having kids, I just stopped worrying about what other people thought of me yeah, and whether I was going to make someone mad or not. Like, and I always try to be very nice and kind and respectful. You know, I'm not trying to overstep, but saying, Hey, this isn't working for me. Let's fix it. Yeah. Let's change instead of being polite and quiet and just going with the flow. Right. Like if I don't like something, I'm going to speak up. Yeah. Well, especially if it's your babies. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. But anything, I mean, if anything, you know, I think I was so much more worried about what people thought before I had kids. Yeah. You know what? I needed to be polite and, you know, know my place. And now I'm like, no, I want to make sure that everybody is, you know, happy and where they should be and doing what they should be doing. And let's work on that. How can we make that happen together? Yeah. Well, I mean, each step in um, Jacob's journey could be the next milestone for something that he can learn and be able to do and be able to benefit him in the future. So by being there and having everybody involved, it's literally just crucial for his success. Well, it's true. And having those, you know, making the relationships that I have with his therapist has benefited him so much from orthotics. You know, he has a different kind of orthotics than um, most kids because this wonderful woman who is like the expert on research for CP at Seattle Children's. Um, we kind of got in with her somehow. It just worked out. Our therapist knew her, went to a conference, and then she's um, invited us to be part of studies for CP um, where Jacob's gotten a, um, like a you know, ride-on vehicle, like a little electric car. Oh, okay. That he can drive, and that helps with mobility and it helps with uh, when he start when he does get in a wheelchair that will all that experience of being in that car will help um but we've just really benefited from using our resources yeah well and how would you know that right like a simple toy right could help him in a yeah. wheelchair I know it's, it's crazy it's remarkable that even they know that right that well they and can that's make all the study that they're doing and it's really yeah. difficult I guess to find study participants for a lot of studies a lot of research studies because there's no kind of database of who has CP and who doesn't. And because oh. therapists aren't connected, because the doc, like, you know, parents aren't connected with other parents, um, there it's difficult for them 
We just did a research study. Um, We were participants. There was just three families there. I know. Wow. In here, like in the city of Mm -hmm. Seattle? Yeah. And, you know, part of it, people work. How do you get to a meeting at 11 o'clock in the middle of the day, you know? But it's, you know, it's unfortunate that there's not more connections for parents and therapists, you know, for them to all be together, unless the parent is advocating for that. Right. Right. And that takes time and work and, well, and resources and resu- all of yeah, those things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. All right. So, uh, you've walked us through obviously having these three different journeys. Well, two, the same one, very different. Uh, and you've obviously gone through a lot. I know that you and Rich are very involved in different charities, th- things that help advocate for this so that other parents know, um, what options that they have or different therapies that they can be involved in. Um, I just would like to know overall, like what's your biggest lesson learned from all of this, from going through, I don't want to say normal motherhood, but you you know, like the typical motherhood to then kind of this transformation into, you know, now I have to do something a little different or something I didn't expect to do. You know, I think probably the biggest lesson is just not being a victim, right? Like, this happened and it's horrible and we could wallow in it and be super sad or we can just be like, this is, this is us. This is the way that our life is and, um, our family and, you know, having Jacob like on paper and everything that happened is horrifying, Yeah, but he's such an amazing person and he's added nothing but joy to our family, our immediate family, our extended family, our friends, our family, our community. Um, it's, you know, Rich asked me the other day, we were at swim lessons with Jacob and he loves swim. Um, do you ever think about what he would be like if he was, you know, neurotypical? And it's like, I don't, I don't waste my time on that because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't, that path doesn't get me anywhere. Right. Like it gets me nowhere. Um, I mean, maybe occasionally it might pass through my mind, but it doesn't make me sad. Yeah. Um, because this is, the way that this journey is supposed to be. And, um, and I, and we just, when Jacob, after Jacob was born, my dad and I are, my, my family's very close, but my dad called me, which is funny. We don't talk on the phone. They live like three minutes away, but he called me and he, um, he said, we're not like, this isn't going to change the way that we are. We're still going to go camping. We're still going to get together. We're still going to go out to dinner. We're still going to do things, fun things. Like this isn't going to change who we are. And at that point, we didn't know what Jacob's prognosis was. He was not very old. And I think that that has stuck with me the most, right? Like, we aren't going to change who we are just because we have this challenge and just because this is different. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that because we, that's the way that our family is, our immediate family, um, everyone else is like, oh, okay, cool. That's great. Jacob's amazing. He's awesome. Let's do this. Like, our friends, our community, the girls' school, like their classmates, their classmates' friends, anything that they can do to help Jacob, accommodate Jacob. I mean, it's really um, beautiful to see yeah. all these people come together and support him and how much he affects people. It's amazing. Like we wouldn't have had that um, experience if we didn't go that down this path. And I really think that it's just the way that that God wanted things to work out for us. Yeah. I mean, not that I would want him to be, um, to be challenged, you know, or my kids to have to go through tough times. Um, but 
I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. Like and, just, and I think you're seeing, like you said earlier about like how he doesn't give up, right? Like how he just keeps going. How he could, like to be able to see that resilience in your child is amazing, right? I'm sure it helps you to know like he was built for this, right? Like this is what he was built to do right? and to impact the world. I, I yes. read a quote recently, um, that says, and I, I don't know exactly who it's from. This is going to happen all the time on the podcast because I just <laughs> like the quotes and who they're from. Um, but it says, we do not heal in isolation, but in community. And I think that that's so great because what you're seeing is that not that if you would have had Jacob in a different way that you wouldn't be involved in your community, but you have this like almost this like forced community and it's beautiful. Like you're, you're talking about advocating for your son you're talking about getting resources to parents like getting involved in charities helping people know about different therapies that they can do and and that's just bettering the world right and now you get to do that right and it is it that part is rewarding and um and it's just wonderful to see kids um rally around Jacob you know his cousins his friends his sister's friends um and to see the impact that that they have like, okay, he's a little bit different. Why does he have his walker? But he's also the same. And for them to, to, for these kids to grow up knowing that they can have more empathy and, um, kind of understand that people that are different aren't scary. Um, you know, it's easy cause Jacob is so social and he's very happy and he'll engage anybody. So it is, he's easy, mm-hmm. you know, to take out into the world. Um, you know, that does, that does make a, make a difference. Yeah. But you've um, also worked really hard, worked really hard to get yeah. to that. And just to normalize our experience, right? Like if someone sees us and we're walking on the walker, I mean, a lot of people know us that don't even, that we don't even know because they recognize Jacob. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> that must be so great. It is great. It's great that yeah. he's making his own, own relationships at four years old with people that yeah. we go to school and everyone's like, Hey Jacob, Hey Jacob, you know, the girl's school, not his school, but the girl's school, like, you know, all of, um, all of the little kids are so, um, warm and always are looking out for him. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, that's really great. Julie, I really appreciate you being here today and sharing that with us. Thank you so much. I mentioned at the beginning, I knew, um, obviously because of our connection, I knew your story, but those details Mm -hmm. are so important, um, because it shows your strength as a mom and it just shows what we can do when we're faced with some difficult choices and some difficult times. And you've obviously turned it into something really beautiful. Thank you. So thank you for being here. Thank I really you so appreciate much for it. having me. It's fun. It was fun. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. Please subscribe to this podcast so you can get the latest episodes and tell us what you think about it in the reviews. And mamas, I love you. <laughs>